You're listening to a UCD Humanities Institute podcast. Jardine Meany is director of the Nation Genre Gender Project. In this podcast, Jardine talks about a social network analysis of Anthony Trollope's novel, Phineas Finn. The bicentenary of Trollope's birth in 2015 was the occasion of a major reappraisal of his work. John McCourt, in a book published on the occasion called Trollope in Ireland, argued that Trollope did his utmost to impose English order on Irish space and rapidly took on a role as cultural mediator between the two worlds. Trollope then is an in-between figure and the two novels in his famous Pallister series which tell the story of Phineas Finn tell the story of Anglo-Irish relations. The first of the novels, Phineas Finn, really lent itself to a social network analysis Phineas moves between two fictional worlds, his home in Killaloo in County Clare, which he initially represents in Parliament, and the world of London high society and politics. Trollope was a scrupulous chronicler of everyday social life, with a strong interest in politics. The novel is acutely concerned with the difficulties of reconciling conflicting identities and allegiances. These factors made it a challenging and productive case study for our project, which illuminates the extent to which historical forces shape fictional worlds. Novels do not offer empirical evidence of actual social relations, but they do offer us an extraordinarily rich insight into how society and community are imagined by writers and by readers. The interactions between characters and novels can yield maps of textual social networks and imagined community. There is an unresolved tension in Phineas Finn between Trollope's desire to faithfully represent his society and to provide an allegory of ideal relations between Ireland and England. The episodes of St Paul's magazine, which Trollope edited and which feature Phineas, came out with their depictions of the novel's urbane, intelligent and handsome hero, at a time when Punch magazine was regularly featuring depictions of the Irish as an ape-like, stupidly violent race. On the one hand, Phineas is Trollope's ideal Irishman of the future. He is about the first Irishman we've had that has been worth his salt, Prime Minister Gresham says in the novel. The ease and good fortune with which his talent and manners bring him into Parliament is matched by the dedication with which Phineas pursues his work at the colonial office. The hard-working, conscientious, middle-class Catholic Phineas, busily researching the pros and cons of Canadian railways for the good of the empire, is in marked contrast to the feckless aristocrat, the Honourable Lawrence Fitzgibbon, whom Phineas replaces in the cabinet. If Lawrence represents the decadent landlord class, Phineas represents the hope that an emergent Catholic middle class can be fully integrated into the structures of the United Kingdom. The first half of the book seems to promise that the novel will rehearse a standard plot device of 19th century fiction concerning Ireland, where the protagonist has to choose between an Irish and English partner in marriage. Trollope seems about to substitute this clever young man for the wild Irish girl. Instead of a beautiful Irish woman whose marriage to a nice English gentleman embodies the act of union, the novel presents a clever Irishman whose marriage to a nice English heiress will endow him with the financial and social resources to fulfil his destiny within the empire. 
This political allegory haunts the novel, but it is not fulfilled. Phineas Finn was written in 1866 and 1867 and published in serial form between 1867 and 1869. This was a period of massive political upheaval and social change, which is very different from the way period dramas and popular fiction have taught us to imagine Victorian England. The narrative is situated at the confluence of three great forces of change, the Reform Bill and the demand for the vote for all men, not just the property class, the Fenian uprising in Ireland, which spilled over into violence in England and in Canada, and through the female characters in the novel, debates about the rightful place of women in society and the proper basis for happy marriages. In the context of this maelstrom of forces, realism finally won't let Phineas achieve the destiny mapped out in the first two-thirds of the novel. Integrity, Phineas's and the novels, demand that he votes for Irish tenant rights and so was forced to resign from his well-paid government position. Integrity also requires that he turns down the wealthy widow, Madame Max Gosler, and marries Mary Flood-Jones back home in Killaloo. The novel, rather like Phineas himself, offers this resolution half-heartedly. The choice of women at the end is certainly a letdown in social terms after Lady Laura Kennedy and Miss Violent Effingham, who represented power and money, respectively. The tension between the realist and allegorical impulse in the novel is graphically apparent if we contrast two key sets of Phineas's relationships. These show that chapter 58 is a point of sharp division in the social networks in the novel. From chapter 1 to 57, three older men act as mentors to Phineas. Barrington Earl represents political ambition and loyalty to the Liberal Party. Mr Monk represents political integrity and principle. Phineas's father, Dr Malachy Finn, represents pragmatism, connection to Ireland and home. Two women dominate Phineas's affections in this same section of the novel. He first proposes to Lady Laura Standish, who promotes his political career. Then he falls madly in love with the heiress, Miss Violet Effingham. Social network analysis demonstrates a clear break after chapter 57. In the last part of the novel, the principled and independent Mr Monk becomes much more strongly connected to Phineas, who votes for Irish tenant rights and loses his position in government. In the same chapters, having been rejected in turn by Lady Laura and Violet, Phineas becomes much more closely associated in the networks to Madame Max Gosler and to his Irish sweetheart, Mary Flood-Jones. He goes home and proposes to Mary and reluctantly turns down the glamorous and intelligent Madame Max, who proposes to him and offers him a share of her wealth and independence. In the end, Phineas's political and matrimonial prospects are linked. Social network analysis shows us very clearly how the Fenians blew holes in the story of successful Irish integration into British society and politics that Trollope wanted to tell in Phineas Finn. Irish political violence and land agitation and English rioters demanding the vote disturbed the social order of Trollope's fiction. In this unpredictable world, 
a dangerous, unstable space opens up. For if the plot of the last section of the novel marries Phineas off to Mary Flood Jones, it shadows that relationship with his relationship to Madame Max, making it clear that these two are better matched and have much in common. Madame Max embodies the importance of being ambiguous, as she puts it. Mary is defined by her Irishness, her link to home, and she never leaves Ireland. Madame Max moves between Park Lane, the great houses of the Whig aristocracy, and her own business interests are in Vienna. She isn't Jewish, but she is the widow of a Jewish businessman. And this elicits considerable suspicion, even from her friends in England. Madame Max brings out a very dark side indeed to the nearest thing the Pallister series has to a heroine. Lady Glencora Pallister is determined that her son will inherit the estate of the Duke of Omnium. Not, as Glencora puts it, the little brown baby, which she imagines Madame Max producing if she marries the Duke. Madame Max's threat to the integrity of the proper English succession of things unleashes the insidious racism and anti-Semitism that lurks beneath the glittering surface of Victorian society. Social network analysis has the potential to map the positioning in the social imaginary of the period of uneasy in-between figures like Phineas and Madame Max, the Irishman and the not-quite-Jewish woman. Perhaps more than he knew, Trollope shows us how quickly such characters can become outsiders and the focus of irrational suspicion at times of crisis.